the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Time once again for the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. If you'd like to dial in, you can do so right now. If you'd like, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. And here he is, our financial and retirement expert here in studio with us, Larry Rosenthal. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Chris. And how are you today? So far, so good. And weather's been been really nice, and I'm enjoying myself. How about you? Uh, no worries, no worries as we're moving towards, you know, the end of the year. It's uh, Christmas stuff all over town now. Oh, it's, it's pretty neat. It's, it's been kind of crazy with the traffic around the area, hasn't it been? At least in the D.C. area. Well, that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole radio show right there. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Making Money Since I'm Larry Rosenthal. Again, we'd like to listen. we like to... Uh, Welcome our new listeners on from Family XM, Sirius XM, uh, Channel 131 Nationwide, as well as our uh, longtime listeners here in the D.C. area on WAVA 105.1 FM. Live call-in talk show. Feel free to give us a ring on any subject matter at all, dealing with financial planning, investment strategies, estate planning, taxes, wills, trust, mutual funds, 401Ks, retirement plans, insurance, whatever's on your mind this morning. Go ahead and give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123. You know, Chris, I always start the week off with what happened last week in the markets. What are the markets looking forward to uh, next week? What's happening and, and things of that nature? And I've been saying that the markets have basically been trading on three or four issues in in in, in the press, if you, if you really look at it. And and that's exactly what's happened. The, in beginning in October, uh, Chairman Powell, uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman, mentioned in, in sort of an off-the-cuff comment, you know, we're, we're a long way from neutral, meaning that he thinks that they're going to continue to raise interest rates bigger and bigger and longer and, long, and higher and higher. And that's what started sort of the, the jitteries or the volatility, if you will, in the stock market back in the beginning of October. Well, his comments the other day, this past week, what the market wanted to hear, and this is what I've been saying all along, is what the market wanted to hear was that future rate hikes are going to be more data dependent. And he came out this past week here, and, and you know, on Tuesday when he spoke, the market shot up over 600 points. It was just a tremendous wow. rally of the day simply because he changed his conversation. He softened his language a little bit, and what he basically said was, we're closer to neutral than we thought. And rates, uh, rate decisions going forward are going to be more data dependent. 
meaning we're just not going to raise, 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 which is good. And, and the explanation basically is this, is that as interest rates get too high, it sort of tends to choke off the, the economy. Think about this, Chris. If, if, if you're going to go buy something on time, whether it's a, you know, whether you're, you're getting a credit card or a car loan or, or whatever it may be, if interest rates are too high, um, you know, seven months from now, you might not make that purchase, and that will really slow down the economy. And so that's mm-hmm. one of the things that has always been present whenever the economy starts to slow down is is higher interest rates. And and the the objective of it is to is to wane off or defend inflation pressures. But what's interesting on the other side now is when you take a look at at trade and and tariffs. And today, President Trump and President Xi are going to be speaking tonight at a dinner. And the markets want to hear tonight after their dinner that, you know, look, they're not going to settle a trade dispute of this magnitude. You know, I was doing some reading this week. And between China and the U.S., we represent 40 percent of the world's GDP. So this is definitely a big deal, as everyone knows. And my my point is this, is that the markets want to hear going into next week as a result of tonight's dinner <clears throat> that they've agreed, that they've reached a decision to agree to work out trade negotiations going forward. Now, right now, China does not want us to add more tariff pressures to the already $250 billion of tariffs that, that we have uh, put on them recently. We've got... 10% tariffs on $250 billion worth of goods. We're talking about in January raising that to 25% and then possibly adding another $267 billion. And, and President Trump wants some concessions on the other side. So hopefully tonight they will agree that they're going to work forward towards a solution. And if that's the case, then the markets should react pretty positively. It's a lot of power, this, isn't it? This coming week. There, there is a lot of power, and that's really what's happening there. You're looking at supply chains. You're looking at all different types of things all around the globe when it, when it comes to this. So this is the next big thing. And then, and then you've got the Italian budget issues in, in Europe as well as the Brexit vote again for the U.K. Parliament on December 11th. So lots of things in, in, in the financial press there and, and with uh, – Chairman Powell talking about, you know, his softening language the other day. The markets really responded well. So these are the things that you have to look at to see what's going to be going on with the markets and the economy and, and, and different things like that. And let's go ahead and welcome uh, Sharona, I think. Sharona. Good morning, Sharona. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How can I help you? Okay. Thanks, first of all, for taking my call and for you um, sharing your knowledge. Um, but my question is, do you have any suggestions on um, apps as far as there's a lot of apps out now uh, that they say you can use for investments or purchasing stock? I don't really know all the correct terms for it, but um, do you have any suggestions for that? Um, like I downloaded Robinhood on my phone and have no idea what to do next. So um, maybe any suggestions on it or even just knowledge of how it all works? Well, Sharona, I've never heard of the app Robinhood, but I have many, many apps on my my devices uh, that track the economy, the the stocks, and things like that. I don't do any trading on my my phone at all, okay, or or or, or things of that nature. There are apps out there that do that, and if you go to the online trading places, I'm sure that they can provide you an app, but. I have apps on there that that follow the economy, um, news, and markets. Um, 
so, so there's an app called – it depends what you're looking for. You know, in, in my position as a financial advisor, I, I have to look at Federal Reserve policy. I have to look at fiscal policy. So I have an app called FRED, F-R-E-D, which gives me all types of economic data from the Federal Reserve. It's wonderful. It's very, very boring reading, trust me. And then there's stock apps and, and CNBC and Bloomberg and, and and all different things like that that you can get other types of news. And there's just tons and tons of, of apps that will tr- you know, give you analysis on different stocks and stuff like that. So it, it's been my experience. I probably have 20 or 30 of them on my phone, uh, but I probably only use four or five of them. And and it's just been my experience of downloading one. I hear about one. I'll download it from the app store. I'll put it on the phone. I'll play with it for a few weeks, and maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll delete it. But that's just been sort of trial or error as far as that goes with me. Well, these are more apps where um, where people are suggesting you get them to actually make money. Like they'll actually your routing an account number, and then from there you choose different companies. And I guess if the company's in a positive, you're in a positive, or if a company that you choose is in a negative, you're in a negative. So it's more of a way to um, make money, not so much for data. Yeah, Sharon, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I, I wouldn't be careful oh, okay. putting routing numbers and things of that nature on your on your phone. So I, I yeah, right. that's that's the extent of it. I look at these apps as information. And I'm very selective on what the sources are that I'm getting my information from. So appreciate the phone call. You can go to my website and click on Education tab if you like. There's all types of information out there on on markets and the economy. So go visit LarryRosenthal.com, click on the Information tab, and you can get some information there. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. Go ahead and get – oh, let me finish up here on on the, the markets real quick, Chris. So as a result of where we are now with all this volatility and trading and everything. Remember, last year the S&P 500 did 19%. Year-to-date through Friday, the S&P 500 is up 3.3%. So we've had all this trading, all this volatility, right? The NASDAQ is up 3.2, and and uh, the, 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 the Dow is up uh, th- 3 as well. So, um, you know, the markets aren't negative this year. Right now, as we sit, they've been negative, they've been positive. They've Merry been Christmas. Negative, they've been positive. That's correct, which brings me to a point that I want to talk about is the volatility. So so I, through the first half of 2018 this year, the market has had eight days where it has moved 2% up or down in a single day. In 2017, it had zero days when it did that. So for the first half of the year, we've experienced that. Now, as far as uh, the first half of this year, the market has moved 1% up or down in a single day 36 times. And in 2017, it's only done it, it only did it eight times. My point is that on average, since 1980, every year the market will move up or down 1% in a single trading day, an average of 62 times a year. So we're actually back on pace for normal fluctuations, normal volatilities when it comes to all of that. And when people see, when everybody sees this, and this is where, where I'm going to make our point, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take the commercial, just, just a few more seconds here. The, the, 
Uh, when you start to see the markets moving up and down and your accounts moving up and down, one of the th- factors you want to look at is what we call your beta rating in your in your investments. In other words, you take down, you sit down, and, and I've talked about this for years and years on, on on television and as as well as on the on the radio shows here. The market, meaning the S&P 500, has a, a risk factor, and they call it beta. Why? I don't know, but they just call it beta. And it has a rating of 1.00. So when you, when you take a look at your investments and how much you have in this one and that one and, and, and all around, you might end up having a beta rating of, let's say, 0.85, which means you're 15% less risky than the market. So as the market goes up, you should go up, but not quite as high. And when the markets drop, you sort of come down like a feather, not as far, not as fast as the regular market. On the other on the other side, if you're more of a growth, aggressive investor, you might have a beta of 1.1, where you're 10% more risky. So as the markets go up, you should go up higher. But when the markets come down, you're going to come down a lot lower. So it's very important uh, for, for everyone listening here to understand what your beta is in your portfolios. You can do this by, by putting it into Morningstar, Zephra, there's Zacks, there's all kinds of different programs out there, kind of like what the caller was talking about earlier. How do I get all this, this information? And, and work with your advisor. If you, if, you know, we, we have people all the time that are saying, hey, Larry, look at my risk. What is our risk tolerance? If you want to get some information on, on beta, standard deviation and risk, managing risk, because as we march closer in time to needing our dollars, the more conservative our dollars need to be positioned so that if the markets were were under pressure or down, when it's your time to start withdrawing money, you want to make sure that you're not withdrawing your dollars in some sort of of a market low. That's why it's important to take a look at your downside risk in your overall investments. Go visit my website, LarryRosenthal.com. Click on the search and click under Beta and Risk, and you'll see this exact example. How uh, How do I know what my risk is? How do I find my risk level? Well, one of the ways that you find your risk level, Chris, is is we have what we call a risk tolerance questionnaire <coughs> where I'd ask you a series of questions, you know, eight or nine questions, and depending on how you, you answer, it gives you a score, and then based off of that score, it gives you a suggested range of a portfolio mixture, you know, equities to bonds and things of that nature. You can also, you know, and, and it just boils down very simply like this. On a risk scale, one the most conservative, ten the most aggressive, where do you think you want to be? You know, I'll ask somebody that question, and they might say, oh, I want to be a four. And I say, okay, well, let's, let's answer these, these other nine questions right here. It takes about five minutes to do, and it might come out that their risk level, after you put the, the questionnaire in front of them, might end up being a seven. So it's very important to really take a look at it. And then one of the things that we'll do, and, and you should be doing this with your financial advisor, and, and, if you're not, and if you're doing it yourself, you should be doing this too regularly, uh, probably at least once or twice a year. And if you're not, these are the questions you want to ask, and, 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 and we can help you do that. Go ahead and go to my website, LarryRosenthal.com, and shoot us off an email and, and, and talking to us about this, and we'll, we'll give you the information that you need to be asking because you want to find out how, you know, if it, your portfolio is designed in a certain way today, your 401K, the government TSP, your brokerage account, your bank money, all that stuff, all adds into the whole family mixture of it all. How does that look from a total risk-reward scenario? 
That's what you really have to look at going forward. Uh, so, hey, we're going to take a quick break here. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. You listen to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment. listening to making money sense live with larry rosenthal phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 rose 123 that's 855-767-3123 more making money sense in a moment here's a quick tip for you remember it's time in the market not necessarily timing. Stay away from lots of buy-sell transactions. Find quality, buy it and hold it until the quality goes away or your investment objectives change. It's time in the market, not necessarily timing. If you'd like more information on proper investing, then go visit my website at LarryRosenthal.com or simply give us a call at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. That's financial advice you can depend on you found the larry rosenthal show call now with your questions 855-767-3123 or stop by LarryRosenthal.com. this is the larry rosenthal show yeah if you'd like to dial in the phone number is 855-767-3123 that's 855-ROSE-123 got a quick question here from leander i'm just retired from the government 50 years and I just received a letter from my thrift savings plan where they indicated that they would close the loan. And they, within 60 days, I had to indicate which way should I go, rollover or IRA or Roth IRA. You want to roll that over into a regular IRA simply because if you roll it over to a Roth, you'll pay taxes on all of it. Now, a Roth IRA is a good vehicle to get some tax-free income down the road, but if you're not in a position to pay the taxes on the balance of your TSP, then roll it over to a traditional IRA. How do I start that process? Okay, Leander, here's what happens. There's a special TSP form, Thrift Savings Plan form, that you need to fill out. I have some in my office. We'll get it over to you, okay, and help you with the rollover. Let me put you on hold. Bob will get your information, and then I'll have Dina give you a call, one of our advisors next week, to help you initiate with the thrift savings plan rollover so there's no taxes for you. You know, Larry, sometimes we forget that uh, it's not just the Washington, D.C. area that uh, has TSP. There's federal employees all over the country, so this is kind of a pertinent question. It is, you know, and and oftentimes, you know, people need to understand the choices that they have. One, you can leave the money at your old employer. Two, you can roll it over to a new employer. Three, you can cash it out and spend it, right? Or four, you can roll it over to an IRA. And, and you need to examine the cost involved with it, investment choices involved with it, to make sure that you're in, in the best position. One of the problems with <clears throat> 401K plans is that you have a, a sort of a limited investment choice inside the plans. Most of them have mutual funds, and, and they don't really have 
a lot of choices that a regular IRA would have. On the other hand, an IRA, in some cases, depending on where you put it, it could be slightly more expensive. So it it just really depends on what the investment objective is of the person that you want to do. But those are always the four choices that you really take a good look at. Hey, let's go ahead and welcome Jeff on the line from uh, New York. Good morning, Jeff. How are you to say? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. How can I help you, sir? Okay, so I have a question. Different financial advisors have told me that you need to diversify between stocks and bonds because they always work in opposite directions. When stocks are up, bonds are down, but when stocks go down, the bonds go up, and that helps your portfolio. Yet none of them can ever show me that actually happening. When we actually look at bond funds and stock funds, they all go up when the market is up. They all go down when the market is down. I can't ever see that opposite thing ever really happening in real life. Do you see that happening or is can you just explain that a little better? What what good do the bonds do me if they don't? I mean, I know they don't go down maybe as fast as the stocks, but generally the upturns are way longer than the downturns. And in the end, you end up with more in the end using the stock fund. So, so Jeff, yes, I... I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm picturing in my mind four or five charts that I could put together in my office if I was there and shoot it over to you. Um, the The question needs to go more towards a time frame. For example, if you take a look at right now, let's let's just take a look at the last couple of years. Stocks have been going up, correct? Right. And and interest rates have been going up. So that means that that when the economy is expanding, traditionally stocks will go up, and as the economy expands, the inflation pressures enter the economy, so the Fed will start to raise interest rates. Well, now let's move over to the bond side of your equation, because when bonds uh, – the, there's two sides to the street to bonds. One side of the street has what we call interest rate risk, and the other side of the bond street – has what we call credit risk. So as interest rates move up, traditionally bonds will go down in value. That's the old thing where you hear, oh, as stocks are going up in a growing, expanding economy, bonds will go down. It's actually more its more of a function of what interest rates are doing when it comes to the bond equation. Again, there's two lanes of traffic in bonds, one that's interest rate sensitive and one that's credit sensitive. So when you look out at the broader economy and you see what's the economy doing, well, the economy's been expanding and interest rates have been rising. So in your bond sleeve, you want to make sure that you have bonds that are, that are subject to risk, I'm, I'm sorry, to credit risk versus interest rate risk. In other words, there are bonds that actually go up in value why interest rates have been going up. That's They're called bank loan bond funds or floating rate bond funds, okay? Also high-yield funds and international bond funds as well. So in that scenario, Jeff, you can have stocks rising at the same time and bonds rising at the same time. Now, the economy doesn't always expand and doesn't always only go up, right? At some points, the economy will slow down and contract, and that's the other side of your equation where you said, now stocks go down, my bonds should be going up, right? Well, 
if stock if the economy slows and it starts to contract, stocks will roll over and drop. Correct. So yeah. now you have to take a look at your bond sleeve. And again, you have two lanes of traffic or two different types of bond offerings there. You have bonds that are, again, subject to interest rate risk and subject to credit risk. So now, if the economy starts to slow and the economy starts to contract, that means interest rates are going to come back down again because the Federal Reserve has to lower interest rates to stimulate the economy to grow again. So now you would move your bond sleeve from one side of the avenue to the other side. So you'd move away from high yield or international or bank loans over to more traditional type bonds, corporate bonds, government bonds, because there, as interest rates drop, the value of those bonds will go up. So it, the answer drills down to what types of bonds are you investing in to give you the ballast or the balance inside your portfolio as stocks go up and down. That's what's missing in your equation. Kind of threw a lot at you there, huh? <laughs> but that's well, the, but that's, like, that's the answer like, to your question right there. Well, it sounds like uh, in <clears> – <throat> Leaving the stock part out of the equation, it sounds like it would be good to have both types of bonds in your portfolio. Yes. Now, right. now that, that that's exactly correct, Jeff. Here's here's the the way you want to think about that. Let's suppose that that you have thirty percent of your of your portfolio in bonds today. Just as an example, seventy thirty mixture. Really quick, take a look out as to what's going on in the interest rate world. Well, interest rates are rising, so somebody might say, "Hey, you know what? I want to put all my money on the side of the bond street where interest rate, when the interest rates go up, those bond prices do well." But interest rates are funny; they have sometimes a mind of their own. They go up and down a little bit, and so you might want to have maybe twenty percent of your bond money over there and ten percent on the on the other side of the bond street, so that the bonds give you a little bit of a ballast as well as interest rates shift back and forth and up and down. That's exactly correct. So the answer to your question is is really predicated upon what is your bond mixture, and you can have both sides of it. And 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 I've got charts and graphs in my office that I can actually show you if I, you know if I could beam it over to you right now but that's the answer to your question does that make sense uh, somewhat so it still leaves me though thinking I have stock funds that are 10 12 15 percent annual return bond funds that are two or three percent so if I you know if we have a a good economy for five, six, seven years, my portfolio of stocks is going to be way up, and the bonds are going to be only marginally up. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't I just get rid of the bonds altogether? I know the stocks, when they fall, they fall faster too, but the market corrections only usually last a short time. They don't come down nearly as much as they went up overall, and then they go up again. So but I know I – know- Jeff, I know people that have, you know, very little bonds in their portfolios. And that goes to what your investment objective is. You take somebody that, based off of what you just said, and and here's the answer to this, what you just said was, hey, let's just slice out the bonds, go all stocks, because now the the market's doing well. I want to continue to grow my money. Whereas somebody else says, you know, I see that, but I still want to have an an 80-20 mixture, maybe 80% stocks, 20% bonds. Which one's right? 
Correct. They're both right. It depends on the risk acceptance level of the investor. So if that's the attitude on that, then just know that in the stock portfolio, if you're doing 100% stocks, you can have risky, aggressive, aggressive stocks, or you can have a little bit more conservative stocks, too. You know, so so th it, there's no right or wrong way to, to go about doing it. It really depends on what the individual investor wants as far as their risk goes. Uh, I'll tell you what, Jeff, I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold, and if you want, uh, Bob will get your email address, and I'll send you out a risk tolerance questionnaire. It's eight or nine questions long. You can fill that out and just sort of see where you want to be, and I'll also send you some information on the balancing between bonds and stocks, some of those graphs that I talked about. Is that okay? Um, yeah, sure. Thank okay, you. Right. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Let's, let's go ahead and welcome Jake on the line from Kansas. Good morning, Jake. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? I'm well. How can I help you? Sir, we have a I, – I misspoke with the other gentleman. We have four mortgages. Um, and two homes that are paid off, and through a series of, of inheritances and other unfortunate events, we have a rather large savings account that we have turned over to money managers in the past, and we currently have it with a money manager. But I'm looking at my mortgages, and I'm thinking, you know, is this guy making us more money than we are paying cumulatively in interest when, with that savings, we could pay off at least two of the houses and still have some savings? But all of our money managers are telling us to leave it, you know, with them and to just pay on the houses. Is that financially sound? So, Jake, here's the answer to your question. First of all, we have to understand that interest on a mortgage is simple interest on a declining balance. Depending on the makeup of the home, you could have a tax deduction as well. Now, an investment is compound interest on an appreciating sum. So the answer coming specifically from the calculator will tell you to keep your money invested and make your loan payments last a long time and pay it off over time. That's strictly what the calculator will tell you. Now, if you, if you turn and you say, well, what do we want to do? What do me and my spouse, what do we as a family want to do from a financial planning perspective? It could be totally different. In other words, if you have the ability now to pull money out of your investments, pay off the debt of these homes. Are these homes rental homes? Yes, sir. They're all investment property, sir, except for our family property that, that we don't have a mortgage on, sir. So now all of a sudden you have three other properties that have no mortgage on them, and you have rent coming in. That's a huge amount of cash flow coming in each month, okay? And if you still have money saved in the bank that's, you know, liquid and enough for emergencies or other things that you may need down the road, I would examine that question of what do we want to do from our position? There's nothing wrong with having the properties paid for and having income coming in. What you want to risk, what you don't want to get into, Jake, is a scenario of being house rich and cash poor. In other words, you have all these properties paid for, but now you don't have enough money in the bank or other savings and investments to go on vacation or have a good Christmas, right? You want to make sure that yet you can sort of, sort of balance the mixture between both of those. 
And and um, so so I, I understand the math on what your advisor is telling you. It's basically based off a calculator. But I'm going to take this the conversation one step further and ask, what do you want to do? And and from a risk perspective too, what happens if the markets have a downturn in the economy? Let's suppose stocks drop, the 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 markets c- come back down again, and you lose two renters because they've lost their jobs. Now what type of situation you're going to be in, right? So you have to look at this. Yeah, you have to really look at this from all different angles, Jake, when, when you're talking about it. And, and I've worked with clients over the years with many, many multiple rental properties and all kinds of things. And, and, and the, the problem that a lot of financial advisors will have, and, and they're not going to like when I say this, okay, is that, you know, you've got a house. Let's suppose it's, 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 uh, it's valued, let's say, at, at uh, you know, $400,000 and it's paid for. And you're getting, you know, maybe two thousand dollars a month um, rent uh, from from that house. You know, you're you're getting about a six percent return on on your on your yield. Let's suppose you're only getting a thousand dollars a month. So now you're getting a three percent return on on the on the dollars that are sitting inside the house. That's where where some financial advisors say, hey, you do better in the markets. But you need to do better for what you want to have, have, have done. There's nothing wrong. One of the best rental properties out there, Jake, and I know I'm going on and on, is to have the house paid for and just cash flow coming in. And it sort of takes away a lot of risk of recessions and job losses and things like that from renters down the road. So maybe it ends up being a combination of both. But just make sure that you don't end up being house rich and cash poor is the bottom line from my, from my perspective. Sir, I, I really do appreciate that. That people have said that to me, just never in that, never in that manner. I speak a completely different language. I think, <laughs> so I really do appreciate that. Thank you, sir, and God bless you. Absolutely, I appreciate it. And Jake, if you want, we'll send you out our financial planning toolkit, where you can sort of put some of this stuff down on paper and and take a good look at it. So if you'd like, uh, I'll offer you to stay on hold, and Bob will get your email address, and we'll send you out our financial planning toolkit. We have sent out tens of thousands of these all across the United States, and it really draws a line in the sand uh, and, and, and enables you to sort of say, hey, if I keep doing what I've been doing right now, where am I going to be down the road? And it'll, it'll let you lay it out, you know, very, very clearly like we were just talking about here and let you sort of think about how you want to make these moves. Okay? I appreciate that's, the phone call, Jake. Perfect, yep, absolutely. I'll put you on hold here. Appreciate the phone call. You listen to Making Money Sense, the Larry Rosenthal Show. Go ahead and give us a ring with any of your financial planning or investment questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Don't forget, go visit my website, LarryRosenthal.com. Click on the video on the front page, and that'll show you how your financial plan should really be looking and acting. You know, Chris, uh, Proverbs 22.6 talks about train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. One of the biggest challenges that we have in, in, in money management, financial planning, wealth management, whatever you want to call our industry these days, is making sure that we're, we're, we're teaching our kids and our grandkids about the proper use of money, investments, savings, taxes, credit, debt, the whole nine yards. And it's, it's you know, I, I, the reason I want to bring this scripture up this week is because I've, I've just, I just saw some stuff in the, in the press this past week about how we're just still not teaching the kids all this, all this money management things. And and um, it, it, I tell you, I get a, I get such a thrill sometimes when when clients will 
will put me on the phone with their, their adult kids who are in their 20s or even 30s or or when they bring them into the office and say, hey, we'd like to have a family meeting, Larry. We, we want you or some of your advisors to sit down if it's okay and teach our adult kids or even our high school kids, you know, how does this work? What's the importance of this? And and one of the things that that I will do is with, with uh, adult kids is I'll say, look, let's just open up a small account for, say, $1,000. Let's buy a couple shares of this, a couple shares of that, keep some money in the money market, and watch how they all go up and down and change differently as the economy changes, see how things get reinvested and buy more shares, and, and it's just good education that way. So, you know, let's train, some, let's train up the next generation here in understanding the rules of money, how it works, who owns it and what our responsibility is with it. You know, uh, you know, it's it's the Lord's money, and we need to be 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 a good steward with all those dollars. So, hey, we're going to take a quick break here. Give us a ring with any of your financial planning, estate planning, investment questions you may have. Eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. You're listening to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You've seen and heard him on Fox Business, CNBC, and the Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. A couple of people online here, but you're welcome to dial in. Plenty of phone uh, lines available for you at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Larry Rosenthal. Sure. Let's welcome Donna on the line. Good morning, Donna. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. How can I help you? Um, I was trying to get a little bit of guidance. I was listening to the show, and I retired from the military in 2012, and so I have a TSP account. And then I also have other savings in um, IRA accounts. And one, I don't really know if I have enough to continue me through my retirement. I'm 55 at this time. And so I'm trying to make sure I have enough 
for my future retirement. And then I never did anything to roll over my TSP. When I retired from the military, I just left it there. So I'm trying to figure out what is the best move now. Do I need to roll that TSP over? Should I leave it there? Do I need to make other investments in order to sustain me through my retirement? Sure, Don, I understand. So it sounds like to me we need to take an overall view of what your overall financial situation is now and where you want to get it to down the road. And I'll send you out our financial planning toolkit like I did an earlier caller today, and that's going to help organize all of that thought process for you. It'll draw a line in the sand and say, hey, here's where everything is. What it, What's it going to look like down the road for myself? But let me drill down into your further question regarding the TSP. There are four things you can do. First of all, thank you for your service, by the way. And and there are there are. Yep, absolutely. There are four things you can do with money at an old employer, whether it's an old 401K or the TSP in your case. One, you can leave it where it is. Two, you can cash it out and you know pay tax and spend it. Three, you can roll it to another IRA account. Or four, you can roll it to a new employer's account if you want. <clears throat> so let's examine all of that. Money in the government TSP, as you're aware, the expenses inside of that are very, very low as compared to the overall industry. The problem with the money in the TSP is you have very, very few investment choices. You only have the CGFS and I funds, and basically, along with the life cycle funds. But basically, you don't have the ability to move into different sectors. Like if you said, hey, I want to invest in technology or healthcare or, or, or different sectors like that. So the TSP is very limited in scope about your investment choices. In addition to that, if, if the markets were to start going down, you don't have the ability to invest in things that make money while the market's going down either. So, so that's one of the, the scenarios there. So the TSP, low cost, but not a lot of investment choices. Your new employer, I don't know what their lineup of investment choices are or the cost. You have to sort of weigh that. So what a lot of people will end up doing after they weigh all four of these options is they'll either keep it where it was or they'll move it to their own IRA. One of the advantages in your case, it's pretty easy here, is that moving it to your own IRA, it's a simply there's a TSP rollover form, and, and you just roll it over. It's tax-free. We had a caller earlier on the, on the top of the hour this morning talking about the same thing. You just roll it over to an IRA. You can invest essentially in the same indexes that are inside the TSP, but it gives you a greater investment choices uh, out there. So, so the the answer to your overall question is: those are the four things you can do with money at, at your old employer at the TSP. Uh, probably suggest looking at looking at all four of those. But I want to send you out more importantly our financial planning toolkit, and I'll have one of our advisors give you a, a follow up ring to to spend some time with you on the phone, going through all of these processes for you. Is that okay? That would be awesome. Yep, absolutely. So Donna, I'm going to put you on hold, and Bob will get your information, and we'll send that out to you. So I appreciate the phone call. Have a wonderful weekend. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Let's welcome Jonathan on the line from Pennsylvania. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you? You still there, Jonathan? I think he's on the line, but maybe he's on a different one. I don't know. Stepped away for a second. Maybe we'll put him back on hold and grab Natalie. Let's go ahead and do that. Uh, Welcome, Natalie. How are you? Let's welcome Natalie on the line from New Jersey. Good morning, Natalie. Hi. Good morning, Larry. How are you? Well, how can I help you today? 
Well, um, I'm, so I have a set of parents. Um, I'm first generation, and I'm just trying to navigate a little bit um, the re- retirement and and just planning for our family, um, for my parents as they're as they're aging now, um, going on to eight, going on to sixty years. Um, anyways, so I just wanted to ask you, what would you recommend as far as you know, just planning because um, me and my siblings, we are concerned about long-term care. My parents, they actually might end up retiring in Costa Rica or somewhere else rather than staying in the country. But I, I'm just not sure which kind of direction or where, what kind of planning we should do for long-term care. So a lot of times, Natalie adults adult children will purchase a long-term care policy on their parents and and here's the way it works first of all long-term care insurance it's vitally needed and there's two primary objectives of purchasing it one is so that the person who's who's ill gets quality of care that's important Mm -hmm. and the second reason is a close you know it's a close second and that is to preserve the estate assets of the parents for the kids you know if something were to happen at least you don't run through all of the money right that's the objective of long-term care insurance so a lot of times kids will 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 band together and share the cost for a long-term care policy for mom and dad so that's one thing that you can look at doing with your parents on another note too, taking the conversation a little bit further down down the road is you want to make sure that your parents assets all have the correct titles on them as far as individually owned or they own inside of a trust or they own you know and as or, or jointly owned how are they titled in addition to that you want to make sure that the beneficiary forms are filled out correctly and do they have a will and a trust in other words if something were to happen to them how do things flow downstream to you and your siblings in the most tax efficient manner and I, and I have a, a, a little bit of a kit I can send you out on basics of estate planning, which will address a lot of this stuff along with the long-term care. You also need to make you know make make sure too that that uh, there's proper powers of attorney in place and medical directives and, and stuff like that. But you know it sounds like we need to make sure that your parents are set up correctly with their retirement income to meet their standard of needs and then be able to pass the assets on to you and your heirs and charities for that matter too if they have that desire in the most tax efficient manner so that 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 seems like to me it's just sort of generational planning we do this all the time with with people but it's very important it's very intuitive for you to be looking down the road as well wonderful okay thank you so much i really appreciate the information Absolutely. I'll place you on hold, and, and Bob will get that so we can get it out to you. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Go ahead and give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Let's swing up to New York and welcome Kurt on the line. Good morning, Kurt. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I have a, qu- I have a quick question for you. I'm a retiree. I'm 51 years, of old, 51 years of age. I have a pension from the state of New York, which I'm blessed and thankful for. Uh, I'm being told that I cannot fund... Uh, a Roth IRA with pensionable money. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Do you have any earnings? Are you working somewhere else? No, I don't. Right, currently, currently, right now, no. But I do have earnings from other investments, if that's what you want to consider income or not. 
Nope. So your answer to your question is no, you cannot fund a Roth IRA. By earnings, what I mean is you have to have a job where you're paying FICA tax. If you were to simply even babysit and mm-hmm. get paid, you know, $2,000 over the course of the year for babysitting and pay taxes on that, you'd be paying FICA tax, Social Security tax, Medicare tax, right? The 7.65? Okay. That's the triggering event that enables you to then contribute to an IRA, whether a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. That's the triggering event. So if you wanted to go down and, and, and you know, serve some pizzas for a while or whatever it is, so being 51 you can put as much away as $6,500. So if you go earn in the course of, let's say, 2019, $5,000 that you pay tax yep. on, then you can take okay. your pension money that's coming into your household and put $5,000 away. If you're, if the max is $6,500, okay? So so if you earn $10,000, you are limited to, to $6,500. That's what the deal is. But you're correct if you don't have income that you're paying taxes on, and specifically FICA tax, Social Security tax, then you cannot contribute to an IRA. That's the triggering event. Make sense? Yes. No, no, I, I understand that. But let me ask you, can I, uh, my wife is also a retiree from the New York State uh, pension system. Can I open something in her name, or you still both have to have working income? Both, both parties have to show um, uh, taxable returns so I can fund. So, again, we're dealing with the tax code, so your answer is yes and no, and let me break it down for you, okay, Kurt? Here's the deal. Okay. If, if your wife were to go out and, let's say, make $15,000 that she's paying FICA right. tax on, right, okay. and you're not making any money, she right. can put 6500 for her, and then she can do a non-working spousal contribution of 6500 for you. Uh. Okay. That's what I was. That's what I'm trying to get. At. Okay. Yep. But but the key here is you got to have a job. You got to be paying FICA tax on it. That's the triggering event, my friend. I got you. I got you. So I, I can do it if my wife has a job, even though she's a retiree. But I'm not working. I'm just collecting my pension. We can still do. Um, we could still feed um, my my IRA and her IRA, so to say. Yes, that's exactly correct. It will fall under a non-working spousal contribution. But the answer is yes, you can. Just a little tricky on you, put on your ta- on your thing. But, yeah, you, you can definitely do it. And I'll, send, I'll tell you what, I'll shoot you out. I, I've got a spreadsheet thing of all the IRA rules in, in my office. I'll okay. go ahead and send you out. Uh, I'll, I'll put you on hold. Bob will get your, your, your info, and I'll, I'll send you out. It's sort of a spreadsheet that talks about the different IRA rules, how much you can put in, what are the what are the conditions, just sort of a lot of things that we were just talking about here, okay? Okay, great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. You have a great weekend. You're listening to Making Money Sense, Larry Rosenthal Show. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. Let's shoot over to Pennsylvania. Welcome Jonathan on the line. Good morning, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. How can I help you, sir? Well, I've got a... I've got five kids at home. I'm, dry, I'm on the road now, um, but my oldest son turns 18 this week, and I really would like to be able to advise him, give him some resources to follow. Um, seems like there's a lot out there these days, but um, I'd really like to find a, a good resource to find a balance between pursuing vocation and pursuing um, academics, higher academics. Uh, all my boys are a little bit different, have different strengths and weaknesses, and I don't want to surrender the 
biblical framework that we're given uh, as I advise them. So you're asking me where your your son, who's 18, should study for a career? No, really, you know, I, I listen to uh, other financial folks over the years, starting really with Dave Ramsey, and I've found that it's, you know, of course it's hard to be flexible and at the same time, you know, main, you always can go back to Scripture, but I've gone through, I had to restart at, at age 40 uh, unexpectedly, and I'm really very satisfied with what I'm doing now at age 50. Um, and I've tried to explain to my sons that they need to remain versatile and learn all they can. But I know the, the, the biblical principles are there. It's just that when they come to make these decisions about their futures, um, you know, when they can really get pushed in one way or the other and, and, and start out with a lot of expectations that aren't realistic. One of the things that I would talk to them about, Jonathan, is is sort of the 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 difference between God's economy and man's economy. You know, God has given your 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 children health, the ability to critically think, the ability to go out and earn a living, the ability to advance their educations. Okay, and and then you go out into the world with all of this power. How are you going to then use that? for for god's glory that's the question you can only you know water ski behind one boat at the same at at a time you can't water ski behind two different boats at the same time so what are we going to do with these earnings what are we going to do with this career that's the way that i would approach the conversation with him with, with with your son you know the the bible talks about prayer 491 times it talks about faith 500 times or i may have twisted those two up but it talks about money over 2300 times and and god doesn't want anything between him and us and unfortunately money is is you know lends some competition to that because we get educated we have jobs we try to to do better and we have to do better we have mortgages and college funding that we have to pay for but at the same time we want to keep our eye and the ownership on the lord's kingdom versus what man's tools, you know, what man will sort of promise us. You know, man's way of the economy, there's confusion. He or she who dies with the most toys wins, and we know that's not the right way. So we have these assets, we have these abilities, and and God gives us the ability to do this. God gives us assets. He gives us bank accounts, 401Ks, all that kind of stuff. The question becomes is how do we get educated to put these assets into man's tools, such as mutual funds, 401Ks, while keeping the eye on who owns it, what our role is with stewardship. That's the way that I would sort of approach that kind of a conversation. And if you want to teach him about money, there are certain websites you can go to. If you can go take a look at the economic calendars where all the data comes out each and every day, each and every month about what's truly going on in the economy. I've got got a, 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 a document that talks about why investors care about all the different pieces of, of economic data that comes out, and that will help him understand the economy and things of that nature. Jonathan, I'll tell you what, I've, I've got to put you on hold here. I'd love to continue this conversation with you, but I've got music in my ears, so we've only got a few moments left in the show. So I'm going to go ahead and put you on hold, and I'll pick you back up in just a minute. We also have other callers on the line, and I'll stay in studio and answer your questions. Go visit my website, LarryRosenthal.com. Click on the video there. 
show you how a properly structured financial plan will look. If you want to get some of the content of today's show, shoot us off an email or give us a call at 855-ROSE-123 during the week. So for Bob in the back, good to have you back again, Bob. For Chris McKay, I'm Larry Rosenthal. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next Saturday with another session of Making Money Sense. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.